Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech America series. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'm the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors and incumbents and ecosystem hub leaders from the United States or North America and LATAM. This episode is hosted by David Jakubovic from New York. Welcome back, listeners, to the Voice of Fintech, your number one channel to see the latest fintech companies around the world who are building the future of banking. Today on the show, I'm bringing to you the CEO and founder of Decentro, Rohith Thanaje. Rohith is the founder of Decentro, and they are building the future of banking as a service, focusing on the core markets in India and Asia Pacific. Rohith, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, David. Good to be on the show. Yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, I know you've been building a career around finance, fintech, and multiple products. What has led you to launch in the past couple of years your new venture with Decentro? Sure, absolutely. I think it's mostly stemming out of my personal pain point. And that has been true across the previous company as well as this company. So I mostly try to solve problems you know, that I face myself. <laughs> it's very hard for me to you know, pick up a challenge which I have not personally faced. So during my previous company, which was a peer-to-peer payments company, very similar to Venmo from the US. So we essentially built out actually like Venmo for India, the first Venmo for India, so to say. This was called My Pooling. I started out in 2015 you know, and we faced a tremendous amount of challenge in terms of you know integrating with the banks uh, in the country. And quite understandable, you know, the systems are pretty archaic and the banks are not really product people. So it takes them uh, like really a lot of effort, time and money to just invest in APIs to expose to customers. So that was the first glimpse of how painful integrating with the core systems of a bank was. And initially, I thought that maybe it's a time thing that over time things will change and the banks will get better at it. But to fast forward to five years later, when the previous company uh, that we had started, it got acquired by a larger group called PayU, which I think most of the listeners would know. It's actually a global uh, conglomerate, very similar to PayPal, you know, uh, but more on the Asian region. And those guys were spending you know, almost the same amount of time and money that we had spent back in 2015 on the same challenge, that is just working with the banks on a bunch of APIs. So that really got me thinking that, okay, it's not just a challenge with startup space. It's also like stage agnostic. And the big companies actually face it at a higher level because they have their own processes you know, and uh, roadmaps lined up. And yeah, that was, I would say, the final trigger you know, for me to jump into the space and solve this for myself and pretty much every company that needs to work with the banks in the region. Yeah, that's how Decentral got formed. And thinking about the global fintech landscape, there's been so much disruption that we've seen in the United States and Europe. And now that disruption is continuing to happen in Asia Pacific, namely in India, where you founded your former company, MyPoolin, that was acquired, and now Decentro. Rohith, how is India shaping up as a fintech destination? No, I think you're right on point. There are these two major trends happening. One is, by default, the center of power is shifting towards Asia. And of course, by the center of power, what we mean is primarily the commerce activity, and a lot of the economic activity. And of course, it's hard to argue uh, against, you know, the success that India and China have seen to a large extent in terms of the growth potential over the last few years. So that by default is a trigger for a lot of the corporates and even startups to really start out of India as a region as compared to any other place in the world. 
So just like the network effects that could led to the creation of Silicon Valley, I think we are seeing these mini, mini Silicon Valleys emerge you know, in India. So that's one major thing. And I think second, from a fintech point of view specifically, India is at a very unique point because it has like this huge population, which is essentially trying to adapt from a cash world to a cashless world, which is again, very rare in any other country in the world, this size. At the same time, what's happening is the regulator is very innovative when it comes to fintech thinking and you know, like creating solutions for like for the banks or for the banking world. One of the key examples there would be this unified payments interface, in short, known as UPI. And it's massively popular in the country. What it allows is it enables instant bank-to-bank transfers pretty much anywhere in the country using one single identifier, you know, which is something which is completely unheard of in a lot of developed countries as well. So I think yeah, considering these two major aspects, one is the support of regulator and the banks innovating at rapid pace, uh, and the first one, of course, of this, the center of activity shifting more towards Asia. Uh, India has become a super exciting destination to build anything in fintech. And looking at the market, we're talking about Asia here. And Asia is a huge market of many different island nations and countries that often we talk about remittances and cross-border payments and different transfer innovations. What are you seeing today that India is the beginning of the scale up for Decentro, but beyond India, you're planning to build for all of APAC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think uh, from a from an APAC point of view, India and China continue to be, I would say, the predominant leaders. You know, in terms of financial, India more so because India is also open when it comes to internet and commerce, unlike a closed approach which China has taken traditionally. So. From a larger view, like the way we see Decentral evolving and probably many other fintechs evolving as well, is to take like a big country uh, like India to really make sure that the market itself is huge when they start out so that they don't have a you know, cold start challenge uh, in terms of less number of users or less number of potential customers in the first place. And then really branch out into some of these adjacent neighboring countries which might have a similar dynamic uh, from a demographic point of view or from a speed of development point of view. So, for example, some of the common you know, Asian countries here, which fall in a similar dynamic as India, would be uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, you know, uh, Philippines as well. Although they are, I would say, still at least three to four or maybe five years behind you know, when it comes to financial innovation and the banking innovation that is happening in India right now. Traditionally in the States, there's been a Wall Street Journal piece that came out last year, which said that banks today are still using COBOL uh, for their <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah. And a lot of the technology and infrastructure is antiquated mm-hmm. and has not gone through modernization. So what are you seeing these banks are doing today to adapt to these fast-paced changes with APIs and new banking as a service technologies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, great point. I think from a bank's point of view, the main challenge that they face is not just, of course, the antiquated language or the antiquated software, as you like to mention. But I think there's a deeper reason for that. And the primary reason, of course, has been that many of them have had to on-prem technologies, right? So they do not have an option to really go to the cloud in the first go. And mostly that stems from compliance perspectives. So I think the pressure from the regulator and their own compliance policies that they have to follow, being a licensed institution, leads to a lot of handcuffs when it comes to, say, developing something new on the tech. I think that is that is common across banks and uh, be it across the West or in India you know, and other countries in Asia as well. Now, 
there are two things I think that are happening on the banks, like the future of the banks itself. I think one is many of these regulators are becoming relaxed in terms of data storage compliance from an on-prem perspective and actually allowing full-fledged cloud transformations for many of the banks in different countries. In India, especially, a lot of the banks have already started shifting out their existing on-prem softwares to fully on-cloud softwares. And they're taking the help of some of these larger IT services companies like TCS, Infosys, popular names. That's one. And I think the second thing, which is really, I would say, one of the most exciting things that's happening right now is these fully digital banks that are coming in from day one. Uh, although they do not tend to be licensed when they start out, but eventually they try to get a license you know, in the next three to four years of their operation, which then eventually give massive competition to some of these uh, larger banks, which have a larger market share, but do not have you know, the tech jobs, which some of these newer players have right now. And of course, they, you know, most of these players tend to be known as neobanks, which is a common term uh, used across the world right now. So fairly exciting to see what's what's in store for these neobanks in India right now. Yeah. We often talk about here in the States about underbanked and mm-hmm. challenger banks and, and different aspects for the neobanks. I'm curious from what you've seen firsthand, Rohith, in India, mm-hmm. what does banking as a service look like today for the average consumer and citizen? Mm-hmm. Is it very much similar to what we've seen in Mexico where mm-hmm. like 80% of the population doesn't have a bank account? Mm-hmm. Or what is some of that shift to digitalization that you've seen? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's actually quite similar. I'm not aware of the exact numbers right now, but probably a couple of years back, you know, when we were about to start off in the new vertical, it stood close to around 75%, which is the number of people which do not have, like, have ever seen a bank account. I think that number has gone lower now because the government went on this massive drive, again, driven by the support of this regulator, the central regulator of the country, to really enable zero balance savings accounts for each and every consumer. So that was a massive push and definitely something that encouraged a lot of people to just try out digital banking for the first time. So I think, yeah, from a penetration perspective, if I talk about the underbanked space, uh, very similar to a lot of the other developing countries. However, the interesting thing here is because of the presence of a lot of the fintechs, which are able to penetrate the tier two, tier three uh, areas and even tier four areas of the country, where many of the banks have not been able to sell a physical bank account. Most of these fintech players are actually enabling, like I would say, a workaround for these underbanked people where they're able to provide them, say, a digital wallet or a virtual card or a virtual account to start with, which does not really translate into a physical bank account, but does serve some purpose of you know, the digital banking journey for these underbanked people to start off with. And that becomes even more powerful if you club it with something like a UPI, which we touched upon earlier, which allows them to transfer money from, say, account A to an account B or even just use that wallet itself for the intra-wallet compatibility. And then not just like do peer-to-peer transfers, but also use the wallet for like QR spends on merchants, et cetera, et cetera, both online. So that's something unique. And uh, I think some someone like in Indonesia has also seen that massive you know, <laughs> growth. But yes, India for sure, because of its sheer size uh, and the number of fintechs that exist here, you know, that is really a marvelous place and very different place you know, from yeah, someone like a Mexico in that case. Now, Rohith, with your previous experience scaling MyPoolIn mm-hmm. and today with your newest venture, Decentro, decentralizing fintech, tell us about the name. What inspired mm-hmm. Decentro? Yeah, absolutely. It's a mix of, I would say, both like a personal twist and a professional twist in that. Professionally, of course, uh, decent, as you rightly mentioned, decentralizing finance or more like democratizing the access to these banking APIs and the technology that banks have. 
uh, and giving it you know, to these new age fintechs, enterprises, and even large scale companies. That was the idea. That's how really the origin of Decentro started. But then at that point, I was actually learning and Spanish as a language. So I thought, okay, let me just you know, pull in some elements from these two languages and see if I can come up with a unique and you know quirky, catchy name that essentially comprises of like two or three syllables at max. And then also really evangelizes what we want to do from a decentralization perspective. Yeah. I really enjoy that story, thinking about localization and globalization put together. Now, turning towards product offerings and your product suite, what does Decentral offer today to your customers? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we do quite a few things. I'll probably touch upon them briefly. Broadly speaking, the idea is to be this embedded banking or a bass player in India, of course, to start with, and then eventually the other countries in Asia itself. However, the way we look at banking is... Twofold. One is this open banking, which I think someone like a Plaid you know, in the US fairly uh, like strongly evangelizes. And uh, Plaid, I would say, is very synonymous with what open banking is. And the second one is this platform banking, you know, which someone like a Galileo or a Synapsify or Tink you know, would come in under that. And there's a clear difference if you look at it like under the radar. I think the first one is open banking by default means that you are essentially connecting multiple pieces and components in your financial ecosystem. And you're trying to move data to and fro. It's just more about data rather than money from an open banking perspective. While embedded, sorry, the platform banking, which is the second one, goes one level deeper where you're not just moving data, but you're also moving money and you're actually physically creating or issuing banking instruments. So that is where, for example, the few names uh, like Galileo, Synapsify, which enable companies to embed banking and finance into their products and allow them to issue new bank accounts or say a new card or even embed lending as a service. That is where the platform banking comes into play. So we are more on the second side where we go into these massive platforms, someone who is serving the SMEs in the country, someone who is serving the individuals and so on and so forth. And then we allow them to use our APIs to embed banking products for issuing new financial instruments or movement of money. Now, if I break that down into modules, this looks like uh, the first module that we started out with was a virtual accounts module, which essentially a lot of the marketplaces use for collecting money from buy plus the payments module, which also enables them to route the money into multiple directions like settling it to the sellers or paying out to the vendors, etc. are the common use cases for a marketplace. Similarly, we started onboarding a lot of the neobanks uh, using our KYC module, which allows them to digitally verify using one single API and endpoint any any document in the country, ranging from the tax ID, the national ID, passport, etc. And then recently we got into the deeper layer where we started physically creating these bank accounts through purely digital channels. And these were like pretty much instant banking. Like within a few clicks, you could actually open a bank account riding on top of a bank, which was truly revolutionary for the first time in the country. And just recently, we you know got into the cards domain, which is a fairly new product yeah, for the market. Now, what's next for Decentro? Earlier this year, mm-hmm. you announced your latest round of funding mm-hmm. as you brought in a seed round of financing. You're mm-hmm. a Y Combinator or YC venture-backed business. What can you share with the audience today about your acceleration for growth, both uh, to the product and to your business? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, YC by default acts like a great, great place to really start off your business. Those guys are really amazing when it comes to setting up the fundamentals, you know, and making sure that 
the team really understands how to go after the product market fit, which is the holy grail in the early days, uh, and then worry about you know everything else. So I think that laser focus that comes in on the founding team, uh, being a part of the Y Combinator is like really marvelous. That's one, and then by default, being part of something like YC gets us you know, closer to the network, be it of the media, the investors, the talent pool, everything. Right? So that's something which is again valuable and reduces a lot of effort uh, from a company's. But I think the real acceleration happens. Once you cross YC and you come out in the real world, uh, that's where you really get to test out the product market fit with the customers at scale. Uh, and funding definitely helps accelerate that. So I think our journey has been very similar you know, in that regard, where YC initially helped us focus on what was really important. And we just focused on one module to start, shaped it up, you know, acquired the first few customers, got the first revenue flowing. And then once we started seeing that, yes, this, this is really catching up, then we got the SRO team on board you know, gradually from design, marketing, product operations, etc. And now I think we have a like I would say a healthy base of twenty plus people working across different you know, you know, dimensions in the team. Yeah. Excellent. And as we continue to round out 2021 mm-hmm. and look towards Web 3.0 and the future of banking, what what's new and what's some of the trends that you're seeing on the horizon as well? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I think the first one would be like I would say, a fairly, fairly popular one is this wave of blockchain and crypto that's sweeping across the planet. Of course, in some countries, it is still disregarded, but I think we are at a stage now, especially in India and everywhere, some of the major countries, especially US as well, where we cannot ignore blockchain or crypto you know, in any way. And crypto, of course, is understandably an application, but a very crucial application of blockchain. But if you look at the fundamental level, blockchain itself is like a reinvention of the way data should be stored and the way information should be shared you know, among parties. So that for sure forms a part of Web3.0. In fact, we ourselves have some plans to get into that or leverage blockchain at some point of time in the future. Haven't really you know, given a structured thought to it yet, but yes, in the very early phases of thinking through it and planning for it in the next few years on how it fits in, especially for cross-border. I think that's one key trend that really stands out when it comes to finance or banking. And I think the second one will be where, which is also in line with decentralization, but more at an endpoint level, where now the information is not really being processed at a central place, right? It's more like the endpoint becomes the powerhouse. So a good example there would be initially a lot of the banking processes, like say opening a bank account or issuing a bank statement and those kind of things used to happen at a central power place, which could be the bank's branch, et cetera. Uh, or maybe like the local office uh, of the bank. Now it has shifted on to the mobile app or purely maybe like to an API in our case, which essentially then gets embedded into multiple platforms as well. So that entire heavy lifting from a fintech and a banking perspective and that processing, which used to consume a lot of man hours and of course was heavily offline as well, is shifting not just online, but also you know, to this endpoint of the user where the user, like it's like where the user really wants, it goes there. You know? So I think that is like an amazing, amazing trend that's happening of this on-convenience banking, you know, or on-convenience financial services, yeah. And tying everything together from the show today, uh, Rohith, what call to action would you like to share with our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Sure. I think two, three things that we can do and we should be valuable, I think, for the listeners of the show. The first one, of course, if any of them are, and I'm sure many of them entrepreneurs are, would, are planning to you know, start in the fintech space, especially in Asia. And of course, India, which is our stronghold, happy to help them brainstorm through what they want to build, how they want to build it, especially from a regulatory perspective, you know, any services that we can provide to help guide them navigate this landscape. That would be, I would say, uh, the highest value add that we can start off with. And then for sure, as they start by entering the trenches and start building the mock-ups and start looking at the banking partners, that would be you know, a great place for us to enter and help them navigate that again, build out some of these partnerships and APIs through our ready-made solutions. And we've done that for a couple of other players as well. Similarly, who were of US of foreign origin and they essentially started or wanted to start a fintech in India. So yeah, definitely that would be one. Happy to help anybody in the network who is looking at that. And I think second would be, this is more from, I think, our like our expansion perspective, where we're looking at what's next beyond India for us. So Singapore, for example, is a country that we are deeply excited on. It's a great, I would say, gateway to enter Southeast Asia. Uh, and we already have a partnership with one of the major Singaporean banks right now. We'll be announcing it publicly later down the year. And I understand, of course, a lot of the you know, US and the foreign banks are setting up shop in Singapore, and not just Singapore, but more like Southeast Asia, which is becoming, again, a very, very attractive center of economic activity. So, yeah, would love to partner with you know, those financial institutions which are looking at this region to start off with. Yeah. And uh, I know recently, Rohith, that you did an official partnership with YesBank. Can you share more with our listeners about this exciting partnership for Decentro? Yeah, I think that was... Uh, in works for a long, long time. And we had started working on it earlier this year in February. So it took around five, six months as expected you know, for a bank partnership to go live. But the good thing is it's like a you know, one-time effort for us being a platform and we'll be able to offer it to all the customers in the next. So it's very powerful. It essentially enables any fintech marketplace or corporate to issue uh, corporate cards uh, or consumer cards to their end consumers or the corporates or SMEs in their network. So great example would be someone like an Amazon or maybe someone like a Flipkart to take a local example from Indian context, issuing these co-branded cards to either the delivery boys for digitizing their payroll, digitizing their spends, or maybe even the consumers, the value-added financial offering. So essentially any company that wants to do that earlier, as we discussed, the whole cycle was very complex. They had to go through the bank and wait for like six to eight months to really get going on that, including the regulatory approvals. While here, since we already have a ready-made platform, now any company can just come in and go live in a matter of weeks. And we already have a few customers you know, that have gone live in the, in the last week or so. So yeah, that was essentially the announcement. Yeah, happy to you know, uh, have share that with the world. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. Rahith Thanesia, the CEO and founder of Decentro, talking to us on Voice of Fintech about banking as a service and embedded banking, welcoming the fintech influx to India. Rahith, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, David. Thanks, everyone. Great, great to be a part of the show. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.